Amen. It's a joy to be with you. It's certainly my privilege to be able to have the opportunity to come and to uh, follow uh, the faithful brothers that preached for us yesterday and uh, to look, continuing at Jude and what Jude says uh, in the face of counterfeit faith. You know, as we, as we think about that, that might serve as a surprise to us, and yet what we find in Scripture today is that it should not be. Uh, we should not be surprised or unaware. It's kind of that thought that we want to run through as we look at the passage this morning. And so um, I like to think about it in the sense that a fallen reality that we share with, with those who Jude was writing to is that we can easily be unaware or we can be apathetic concerning the presence of counterfeit faith among us. And I think that's the other stark reminder in the text. I think, you know, as we look at it, it it's the, the thing that kind of sits there and may shock us that that this is not just out in the world or out in the culture somewhere else. It's present among us, right? It's, it's there. You know, fairy tales have a, have a way of, um, I guess, capturing our imaginations. Um, one that I continue to think about in the midst of, of thinking through the, the subject of this sermon was the, the fairy tale of Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, you remember that one, right? She is sent by her mom. Uh, to go to her grandmother's house. And then depending on which you know, version or variation of, of the story you hear, it can kind of go a couple different ways. But uh, she's given uh, some wine and cake to bring to her grandmother. She sets off through the woods. And, and the reminder of her mother is to what? Stay on the path, right? Don't, don't get off of the path. She encounters a wolf there, of course, not listening to her mother's advice. And the wolf decides, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to get what's in that basket. And not only am I going to get what's in the basket, I'm going, to, I'm going to eat her as well. And so he runs on ahead and goes up to the, the grandmother's house where he eats the grandmother and then dresses up as her. And, you know, I mean, this is scary stuff for little kids, right? <laughs> Beckons Little Red Riding Hood towards the bed. And she kind of sits there and thinks, oh, something's not right about this, right? Grandmother, what... What big ears you have. What, what a deep voice you have. What better to hear you with, right? What big eyes you have. And then when she looks and sees the teeth that are now uh, being born, she says, what big teeth you have. To which the wolf replies, all the better to eat you with and swallows her whole. Now, we kind of know, I guess, a tidied up version of that. I think in one of the original versions, that's where it ends. It ends with... <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood and the grandmother both in the belly of the wolf, right? And so I think as we think about that, let's, let's turn that kind of thought, the, the caution of that, one, to, to, to listen when we're told something, but to be aware, to be on our guard. Something that looks like a wolf is a wolf. And those wolves are present among us. They, they beckon us, hey, come, come towards the bed. And we look and we see their teeth, but sometimes we might not give credit to what those teeth can do or, or what we're seeing with our eyes to connect that it represents a danger, not only for us, but certainly in this spiritual truth that we look at this morning, that counterfeit faith among us, and especially false teachers among us, represent a danger to the congregation. If we're unaware or apathetic to that reality, to the presence of counterfeit faith among us, then we will not implement practices to guard from the divisions right, and influences that will lead our congregations astray. 
We won't work to ensure that we practice those things that will actively protect the sheep. And certainly turning that towards an inner and inward spiritual reality for ourselves personally, we won't put into practice those things that guard us from being in that place as well. When we realize that there are false teachers among us, there are those with counterfeit faith among us, it will give our shepherding an urgency Right. Recognizing the need to protect the congregation from these false teachers and also that it's part of a vital calling that we've been given as pastors. So here we are encouraged right, to contend earnestly, contend for the faith, contend faithfully. But we also see a picture in this passage of how our contending is outlined, right? what we are to do in contending. And so it should be that this is not something that surprises us, yet we might get the idea that what our contending involves is much different than what Jude outlines in this passage. And so we're well served by the passage this morning, uh, well served to look at what Jude encourages us because he's contrasting the faithful against the unfaithful, against these scoffers who uh, we saw outlined for us yesterday in the verses that precede verse 17 through verse 23. And so as we look together at this, I hope that you will see the same, that you will see the picture of what, as we think about this from a pastoral perspective, what we are called to do and those practices in our life that will serve us well in seeking to do that. So read with me, if you would, in Jude, verse 17 through verse 23. Jude encourages them, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. As we look at this and seek to redeem that fallen reality about ourselves, where we could be unaware or apathetic concerning the presence of counterfeit faith, Thankful that this passage helps redeem that for us. So we start with this, but you. right? But you must remember in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. He's beginning to, to shift now. We've, we've seen Matthew last night lay out for us and, and Phil lay out for us the, the picture of who these individuals are. Certainly the, the calling to contend, right? The, the calling to, to stand up and stand firm in the midst of this counterfeit faith. We, we look and we see now that this conversation is beginning to turn, that they are this, but you, you are this. And so you must remember. It's a, an encouragement to be other than they are, right? Not the same as them. It's said twice in short order here. But you, verse 17, must remember it's a transition made from describing those apostates to reminding them that the apostles smoke, spoke of this, that they, they said this would come. They predicted that this would happen. In fact, then in verse 20, that encouragement to keep yourselves 
in the love of God. It's an encouragement to realize for themselves right, that they would persevere in the faith, that they would not be apostate themselves. Right? And then we also see the picture of his love for them. He, he calls them beloved, the genuine care that Jude has for them. But you, he says, remember the words of the apostles that they predicted right, that this would happen. It is the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they told you in the last time there would be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Wait, we shouldn't be surprised about this because it's been told to us. They said it to you. In the last time, this is a, an echo of 2 Peter 3.3, 3, in the last time. Right there will, knowing this, that in the last time there will come scoffers. And so the imperfect tense of that word, it probably emphasizes the repeated warning of the apostles that this would happen to them. And also echoes what we hear in, in the rest of Scripture from those apostles. Right, Acts chapter 20, Paul encouraging the Ephesian elders there that fierce wolves will come in among them. Even down into passages, many of which we've already heard quoted this weekend. I'll just kind of give you the references and let you go and look at them. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 5. Chapter 4, verse 1 through verse 3. And 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 34. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. 2 John, verses 7 through 11. We hear these warnings about those that would come. And so it shouldn't be a surprise. Jude's saying, hey, remember what was told to you, that this wouldn't surprise you, but also that you would not be unaware. Right? That you would not just kind of go along thinking that, hey, well, everything's fine when this is present among you. It's not just a potential that this would happen, but a reality that it is present, that it is here. We must be on our guard. They were told that these individuals, and echoing the description already given of them, that they would be scoffers, right? On the one hand, they are those who make fun of by mocking. And so get that picture that, you know, in 2 Peter 3.3, 3, it's again where that word is used, that they would be scoffers that would come in the last times. And you can imagine a scene where these are mocking those who are striving to live holy lives, mocking faithful scriptural teaching. Mocking spiritual discipline, mocking biblical faith, mocking those things that we would hold as essential practices and mocking even those things that we would practice to draw us nearer to the Lord. They are driven, he says, by ungodly lusts. Here in the ESV he says ungodly passions, but verse 16, sinful desires. Verse 18, ungodly passions are what drive them. In the New King James, in both of those verses, it's described as walking according to ungodly lusts. Now you think about that picture. We're called to walk in the faith, walk in light of the gospel, walk in Christ. They are walking according to these ungodly passions and sinful desires, these ungodly lusts. And thus he calls them in verse 19, sensuous people, right, worldly People, carnal people, they are devoid of the Spirit, he says. Meaning that the Spirit is not in them. Meaning that they are not in the faith. They're counterfeits. And they're among us. Right? They are those who, who are there. We see them. We may not give credit to who they are, but we know that they are present. Or at least we should. 
And so in light of that, it is that the but you passage comes in again. We, we hear it in verse 17, but in verse 20, it's given to us again. But you, beloved, and he gives us some practices there. Keep yourselves in the love of God in verse 20, he says. And so this is the imperative that we see there. There's a couple of ways that you can, you can look at this. But the keep yourselves in the love of God is the imperative. Those things that accompany it are the participles that, that would show us how we, we do that. Uh, it is noted, too, though, that, that those um, participles can also serve as imperatives. But I think it's helpful for us to look at it in the sense that keep yourselves in the love of God is the imperative. And what we see accompanying that is that, that we would build ourselves up in our most holy faith. He says, your most holy faith, it is the faith in Jesus Christ that we have. All right, that we would also pray in the Holy Spirit that we would wait on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. It's noted that this is something that we find elsewhere in Scripture. It is that we find faith, hope, love echoed in uh, this area. So it's pointing us to something that is familiar to us. And so keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, is that the reality that we are actually responsible for that? Well, no, we've already seen the brackets. In fact, I know that Phil will, will echo that in the doxology in just a few moments. We are called by the Lord, kept by the Lord. But in this, this is a part of, of what we do in the midst of this. We keep ourselves in the love of God. There are these practices that contribute to that. And so how do you keep yourself in the love of God? This important practice. Well, he says, build yourself up. In your most holy faith, the reality is that that probably means on your most holy faith. You build yourself on the foundation, right? That means we would be grounded in truth, right? Regular exposure to the Word of God, regular study of the Word of God. Pastorally, we could say regular exposition of the Word of God. We've already noted that several times this weekend, but we see it again, right? How important is it for us to preach the Word? But even more than that, how important is it for us to be, be in the Word personally? For us, ourselves, to know the Word. The Word to have its impact on our hearts. We're also encouraged to pray in the Holy Spirit. Meaning that is prayer led by the Holy Spirit. So don't think this is some kind of uh, prayer language or some extraordinary type of, of prayer. It's in line with what we find in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, where it tells us to pray at all times. In the Spirit, also Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It is that prayer is in the Spirit. Prayer, or prayer in the Holy Spirit is, is just prayer because the Spirit leads us in our prayer. And he says, waiting, right, for eternal life. Right, waiting for the hope that we have. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. So here we see it is that we are called to wait, to depend on the hope of glory, recognizing what awaits us, challenges us, and encourages us to persevere in the midst of even difficult days here in this life. The difficult moments as we, we walk through and seek to be faithful in the Lord. And so he says, keep yourself in the love of God. By practicing these things. I, I love how we look at these. They, they are corporate realities, but they're also personal realities. They, they look a lot like the spiritual disciplines that, that we're called to, to have in our life, those spiritual disciplines that are a part of our fellowship with God and part of deepening that fellowship with God. 
And so there we practice those personally. And I think it, it should be a challenge to us to, to cultivate those things personally that we might also cultivate them corporately. I think it's been uh, the, the realities of prayer hit me upside the head this week. Just, of course, of course we should be praying. But, but it gives it so much more of an urgency when we start to realize that it's, it's not just about our, our personal fellowship with the Lord. But it's about protecting our congregation. Right? It's about doing those things that are going to lead them in the direction that, that they should go by being an example and by encouraging and challenging them, by, by being led in that way. So prayer, building ourselves up on our holy faith, waiting for the eternal life that is ours, remembering the mercy of God in that. And so we see these practices, and certainly we are are not ultimately saved by practicing these things, but they are a part of our salvation. Right? They're a part of our fellowship with God. They ultimately help to lead us in the way that we should go. And so Jude's challenge to that congregation, but you, remember, right? remember the realities that were told to you that, would, that they would come. Remember that they were said that they would be present among you. Don't be unaware and, and don't be aloof. Don't be apathetic to this reality. Build yourself up. Fortify yourself. Be ready. As he says, you demonstrate mercy. So you, you wait for the mercy of Jesus Christ. Right? But in verse 22, he says, you also have mercy. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Demonstrating mercy on those who doubt. So he says, snatch them from the fire, right? And then we see, show mercy with fear, hate the garment of sin stained by the flesh. And so even those led by the scoffers, because as we look at this reality, and it's already been noted to us, Judas is not there in that congregation. He's, he's speaking to them about those who are present there among them. And so he challenges them, right? Hey, you need to demonstrate love and mercy towards those who have been led astray by them in the hope, as we've already talked with the realities of church discipline, that, that they might be pulled away from that, that they might be rescued from it. So we're called to demonstrate mercy. It's a beautiful picture, I think, that's painted for us here of not just, I think, as a congregation what we should be about, but as we begin to shift that and think about it from a pastoral perspective of what are we to do as pastors concerning this. So I just want to give you a few takeaways, kind of building on what we've looked at in the exposition of this passage. And the, and the first one is this. It's something that we've already echoed, but I don't think we can say it enough. Don't be surprised or unaware. All right, don't be surprised. It's been spoken of by the apostles. They predicted it. Scripture points to it over and over again. And so if it shocks you, then you've not been paying attention. Right? If it's something that, that surprises you, then, then obviously somewhere along the way we've, we've missed something. And so don't be surprised, but, but also don't be unaware. Right? The effort has been through the whole of this to present the realities of this being present in the church and of the need to contend against it. So realize that, that with that and in that, there's a calling. 
It's not just a pastoral calling. It's a calling for all of those in the church. But certainly, as we look at it from the pastoral perspective, it's part of our calling to protect the congregation from it. And so if we as the shepherds are surprised or unaware, then where will that mean our church is? So don't be unaware of the calling and care that it represents to understand that, that this would be present. And with the realities of that being known, and seen and understood, the second thing is to be faithful to contend. For us in this conference, of course, we're trying to look at that from the pastoral perspective. And so as we think about it, that we've already mentioned that these corporate realities also represent a, a personal, you know, spiritual disciplines that we are called to practice that are vital to our fellowship with God. Right? But the warning must be given. Make sure you also are not guilty of being one of these. And it's not far-fetched in a group like this that, that there could be some who, who have known all along how they're expected to act, how they're expected to be, and yet not truly have come to the Lord. Maybe you fooled everyone for a long time. Maybe you represent those who are, are talked about here. It's a question for us that we might remember to always be asking ourselves, are we in the love of God? Are we keeping ourselves in the love of God? Because the challenge is, the imperative is to keep yourself in the love of God. So within this faithfulness to contend, we're to make sure we are contending, but note the way that we are to contend. I think that as we look at this, it, it's we might get the idea and impression that, that contending is something much different than the way Scripture outlines it here. We might think that it's first and foremost in how boisterous we can be or how loud we can be against those things. And I know that one of the things that I've been challenged to you know, just this week is, is that when I'm thinking of contending, right? there's certainly the, the public aspect of it that we must be speaking against these things. But, but first... And foremost, we're called to build ourselves up right, on a foundation, on the foundation of Jesus Christ, to pray. Right? We might look at issues in our congregations and, and look at the need to, to tackle them. Do we, do we run headlong into them and, and try to address them, never having stopped to ask the Lord right, to give us success in it, never having stopped to ask the Lord to, to prepare us, never having stopped to ask the Lord to... To work in that situation. I've been guilty of it. Maybe you have. And so here the, the challenge is to prepare and fortify yourself. Alistair Begg I think is helpful as he talks about this. He says that uh, the calling in this guards against feeling like we can be separate, aloof, or apathetic to the realities. Right? It, it is that it guards us against thinking that, well... You know, I don't really have a taste for getting involved in those kind of things. I'm just going to let it kind of play out. We're, we're not given the luxury of doing that. But it also guards us from an unhealthy desire for controversy. Right? Every one of us has different personalities. Some of us might love running in to deal with those kinds of things. Right? To just you know, be very confrontational in the midst of it. And some people have, have no desire for confrontation at all. It's a challenge to, to each to make sure that they are contending well and contending faithfully. Within this idea that we could be separate or aloof or apathetic, it reminds me of a conversation that 
I had with an individual at a church that I pastored where we were talking about leadership. This individual had, had taken every leadership course. Uh, he was very accomplished in what he had done in his career path. Uh, he was a three-star general, and as we started to talk about that, um, he would kind of try to help me with leadership theory and principle. And I remember one day as we were having a conversation, it just continues to echo in my head this conversation that we had. He, he said, you know, he's like, you, you know your job. Right? Know what people expect. He says, if you know the job and you know what people expect, then you do what they expect and you can do what you want to with the rest of the time. This very idea of professional, right? just, just do the things that you're expected to do and, and then you can do whatever else you want with the rest of your time. But we can't approach ministry from a corporate perspective where the pastor is nothing more than an influencer or a CEO or a public figure, right? Not the idea that, well, I've just got, you know, these three job responsibilities that I need to do and for the rest of it, I can just be aloof to the realities of my congregation, or what's going on. He's the same individual that told me, if you just preach and let the deacons handle everything else, then everything would be fine in this church. <laughs> I remember just feeling shell-shocked, maybe. Because within this calling to be a shepherd, a shepherd should smell like the sheep. Right, a shepherd should be among the sheep. Now, that's not to say we can't have recreation or free time. That's not what I mean. But his, his calling and his or his approach, at least on the calling, was this is what you're expected to do. Just do it. And everything else, leave it to others to handle. The pastor is a shepherd, so he can't be aloof right, from the realities of the congregation. This idea that, well, I'll just, I'll just preach on Sundays and let other things happen, you know, not be worried about them. We also can't be apathetic to it, that it's happening and we say, oh, I really don't feel like dealing with that. It's not really what I want to do. But it also guards us from that unhealthy desire for controversy, one where we take delight in exposing it, right? Delight in calling down others. Or maybe we feel like it gives us a, a superiority by being able to contend against it and, and call someone else out on it. It's not a stretch for us to look around our world and see where that's happening, where others just thrive on calling others out. And so we can't have an unhealthy desire for controversy. But instead, as we look at the passage, as we are faithful to contend, it points us to a gospel-motivated mercy, right? A gospel-led mercy, which doesn't shrink back from exposing truth, but also postures are contending with redemption always at its heart, right? with the ideas of the gospel being known always at its heart, with rescue behind it. And so we see this picture of what faithfulness to contend looks like. And it's a constant evaluation of ourselves before the Lord, recognizing our fellowship with Him and how that fellowship impacts our hearts, and being led along in it, in all the ways that our brothers have shown us and told us about the humility that we're called to have and about the love for the congregation that we're called to have and how that's represented, but that we would also, in that, preach and proclaim truth, and that we would not shrink back from it one bit. We would not hesitate in exposing it where it needs to be exposed, but we would do that with all of the humility that we've seen demonstrated to us and how others did it. And so be faithful 
to contend and contend in the manner that Jude calls us, in the manner that the Lord has laid out for us. And I would just say finally that the same challenges to keep yourselves and the practices that accompany it guard us from these things, right? If we are practicing these in our life, it will guard us from failing to contend and it will guard us from contending improperly. It will guard us from, from falling into all of these you know, different manifestations of how it could go awry for us where we have the wrong idea of what a pastor is and, and we just kind of live that out or we, we have an unhealthy desire for controversy that comes with exposing those things and we, and we do those. And so all of what the Scripture is pointing us to guards us against failing to contend and contending improperly. But we realize that we can easily be unaware or apathetic concerning the presence of counterfeit faith among us. But we realize it is the Lord who ultimately gives us the strength, the grace, and what we need to be able to contend faithfully. And so trust in Him. Right? Let Him lead you. Right? Run to Him. And then be faithful to do what He's called us to. And so heed the warning right, to recognize the presence of counterfeit faith and to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Devoting ourselves to those practices which help to ensure that we keep ourselves in the love of God, and that we contend faithfully before Him. That we would persevere in the midst of this and the challenges that it represents. And that we would be faithful. And that as a result, our congregations would be faithful as well. That they would be led in the right way. Because I think as we look at this, remember, brothers, that it's not just about our individual congregations. While we are given charge as pastors over those to be an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ to them, to lead them in the right way, we are part of something much, much bigger. We are called to support one another in that, to help one another in that but also to contend faithfully, not just in our churches, but in the midst of this world in which we live. And so, as we wrap up today, let me pray for you in the midst of that, that the Lord will give you grace and strength to do it. Father, we thank you for today. God, in the midst of this passage, we pray that you would help us to see, Lord, those things that are so vital, Lord, in the midst of our contending. Father, I pray that, Lord, as we, Lord, maybe depending on our personalities, look at at the ways that, Lord, this might be a challenge to us. God, maybe it is that, that we are fearful. God, maybe it is that we are timid. Father, maybe it is that, that we don't, Lord, ha- have a desire to engage with others about, Lord, how they are leading wrongly, God, how their faith is counterfeit, even in the places where we recognize it. God, would you give us a, a boldness? Father, not, not a braggadociousness or a boastfulness, but God, a boldness that comes from the recognition, Lord, of your word and what you've called us to do. Lord, a boldness that comes from our desire to be faithful and obedient to what you've told us. And Father, may in the midst of that, Lord, you Lord, work in our hearts and God work in our congregations. Lord, to Lord, remedy the problem of counterfeit faith among us, the problem of false teaching among us. And so, Father, for the timid, we pray for strength and boldness. God, maybe it is that some, Lord, here, we are, uh, Lord, have a desire for, Lord, calling people out. God, that our personalities thrive on doing that. God, would you help us to be humble? God, would you help us to realize, Lord, the way even you, Lord, 
approach to ministry and Lord, how you handled others. God, you never shrunk back from truth, but Lord, you did that in a manner in which, Lord, humility was known and seen. God, would we, Lord, take our cue from that or to live faithfully in the midst of those things? And Father, would the picture of how, Lord, we contend, Lord, draw others to the gospel that we proclaim? God, will we never hinder it, God, by the things that we do, whether from our apathy, God, or from our timidity, God, or from, Lord, our desire for controversy. God, I pray that we would never, Lord, draw away from the gospel, but always hold it up, that people would always see it in our lives. God, we just pray for the humility to accomplish that through your grace, which you give to us. Lord, help us to keep ourselves in your love by building ourselves on your word, by praying, Lord, frequently, regularly, at all times in the Spirit. God, by looking to the mercy that you've given us and by having mercy on others. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of your word and how it leads us in this. God, I pray for these brothers. God, would you give them strength and grace to accomplish what we've been called to accomplish in this passage. God, we thank you for this conference. And Lord, as we continue, I would just pray that you would continue to lead us into truth. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for bringing Phil to us this weekend. God, we thank you for what he has shared with us already. God, we pray for what he'll deliver in just a few moments. Father, continue to work in our hearts, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.